1: No one's better than me. Good nameless,
0: Morning, Miami Dolphins fans. Welcome to the Wednesday, February 26th edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. I'm in Indianapolis for the 2020 NFL Combine, and we finally got to hear from Dolphins general manager Chris Greer and Dolphins head coach Brian Flores yesterday for some media availability, and they gave us some good nuggets. You know, at this time last year, Brian Flores came into the NFL Combine and kind of Gave you a little bit of a Bill Belichick vibe. He was on the week for on the job for like two weeks in Miami. He gets on the podium. There's all these questions about tanking, and there's all these comments about how bad the team is gonna be, and the tank for Tua stuff really hadn't materialized to the frenzied fanfare that we saw throughout the course of the early portions of the season, but nonetheless it was there. And uh Brian Flores was a little bit guarded and calculated with his answers. And that, to me, really stood out as the biggest difference. And I talked to former Locked On Dolphins host Travis Wingfield, who I ran into yesterday, and ESPN's Cameron Wolf, who I had the, the pleasure of meeting yesterday as well. And we're, we're walking down the hallway, and we're talking about the difference in the dynamics of Brian Flores and his demeanor on the podium And the energy surrounding the Miami Dolphins this year versus last year. And it is a noticeable difference. 2019 NFL Combine Brian Flores interview was calculated. He didn't want to give away too much. And that's not to say Brian got up on the podium yesterday and and told everybody what his draft plans were. But even just like the energy, Brian was relaxed. And I thought throughout the course of the season, this became apparent as well. You know, once uh, they they kept plugging away and the players started to buy in and the, the team started to see some, some results, Brian became much more of in his own skin as an NFL head coach, where, you know, the, the stereotype with the Bill Belichick disciples is they're never going to give you anything. They're super hardos. At the podium, and Brian wasn't like that throughout the, va- the majority of the season last year, and he definitely was not that yesterday on the podium. They talked about the Chan Gailey hiring. Uh, he talked about some of what he's looking for in players at certain positions. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing his perspective on players on the roster and whether or not some of these players may be uh, exposed to position changes. And, and some notable players of position changes throughout the course of the 2020 season were Jesse Davis kicking around from guard to tackle, Bobby McCain moving from nickel corner back to free safety. And, of course, uh, Bobby's season ended prematurely on injured reserve, uh, but showed a little bit of promise there, and, and he was asked specifically to, um, whether or not these players were going to get plugged into certain roles and they were considered starters there, or if the Dolphins were going to kind of let the offseason come to them and then let the chips fall where they may with some of these established veterans on the roster, like Bobby McCain or Jesse Davis. And Flores was very quick uh, to acknowledge that versatility is an asset. And guys that have cross training and abilities to play multiple positions as needed they that a gives them multiplicity but b it allows them to uh, really ramp up the competition on the roster and that that was one of the the other core themes that we heard not only here at the combine but throughout the course of the season. In 2019 for the Dolphins is they, they want to compete. They want guys that are competing. You know, if you're comfortable in your position, you're going to rest on your laurels and you, th- there's less urgency to compete at a high level. And, and that's something that with over a dozen draft selections and 90 something million dollars in cap space at their disposal, expect to see a huge infusion of new talent to this roster with the objective being, hey, best man's going to win the job. And that is how when you add in some of the teaching components that the Miami Dolphins have really seemed to lay at the foundation of how they're going to build this football team to now large influxes in talent where you could potentially again see 40, 50, 55% of the 53-man roster be completely new players, which is, I believe the number was 60% of last year's roster was brand new players. So in a two-year span, you could feasibly see these Dolphins come in and have like five or six guys that were on the roster in 2018. And that's it. But it's a good thing. And Flores talks specifically about uh with the versatility of guys like Bobby McCain and Jesse Davis, uh they're gonna let they're gonna find the best combination of players to put them on the field. And if you're versatile, you have a better chance of being in that puzzle. Another thing that Brian Flores talked about, I, I mentioned it briefly in passing was the Chan hiring. And the Chang-Galey hiring was interesting because if you remember at the time, the Dolphins beat the Patriots and everybody's going into the offseason saying, okay, well, uh, the Dolphins should at least have a little bit of stability now. Don't expect a ton of coaching changes. Well, little did we know. The next day, they relieved Chad O'Shea, the offensive coordinator, and several other assistants Defensive coordinator Patrick Graham gets hired to New York to take the same position, and the Dolphins didn't even fight to keep him. Key uh, assistant quarterback's coach Jerry Szaplensky also went to New York. He was a popular name to be pegged to the offensive coordinator position as, as we're trying to figure out, okay, the Dolphins just went 5-4 and four in their final nine games. They didn't have a running game, but they, they still managed to score some points. You know, what is the thought process behind firing O'Shea? And it was, well, maybe they're trying to protect Szaplensky if Josh McDaniels gets a job somewhere from poaching him to be the offensive coordinator. Some other people thought, well, maybe it'll be Jim Caldwell. You know, Jim Caldwell is the quarterback's coach and assistant head coach in, of the Miami Dolphins, and he took a leave of absence for some personal issues. Nope, he walked away from the team too. And then the hiring comes out, and it's Chan Gailey, and everyone's like... Really? This dude hasn't coached in a few years, and his offenses in New York weren't that great? Coincidentally, spoiler alert, it's not coincidentally at all, Ryan Fitzpatrick was his quarterback during that time in New York, and uh, his destination before that was the Buffalo Bills, and spoiler alert, Ryan Fitzpatrick was his quarterback with the Buffalo Bills. So Chan Gailey, there's there's obviously a connection here, but hearing Brian Flores speak as to why Gailey, Gailey was the pick was pretty valuable. And uh, here's what Brian Flores had to say. He said, uh, I, as in Brian Flores, brought Chan Gailey's name up first uh, in the hiring process. Having coached against him in years past, he was always someone who was tough to deal with schematically, good situationally, and then I've just heard many great things about him as a teacher. He is, the big thing for me is always teaching. He's a great teacher. These past couple years, the time that he's been there, I've seen more and more of that. So we're excited to have Chan. It fits. Which makes you think, perhaps, Shadow O'Shea was not so much of a teacher. And, and there's a number of different reasons as to why uh, that pairing might not have worked uh, one of my working theories I have nothing tangible here but just something that you know kind of has some some logic behind it at the very least is Brian Flores was hired after the Super Bowl the rest of the coaching hires and assistant staffs were already assembled and decided. So Brian Flores is coming into getting the Dolphins gig, and every other assistant coach has taken new jobs, and his options were limited. And uh, the Patriots didn't seem to fight too hard for O'Shea to leave, and then the Dolphins dismissed O'Shea, and O'Shea really sat on the free agent market for several weeks before landing in the Browns as a wide receivers coach. So tells you what the rest of the league thought about him as well, tells you what New England thought about him, and it apparently tells you what the Dolphins thought about him. We're going to pause briefly for potential sponsor identification, and then we're going to come right back, and we're going to flip. We're going to segue and talk about quarterbacks because that's all the media wanted to talk about yesterday, and we're going to cover some ground there as well.
1: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast.
0: Okay, we're back. Wednesday edition, Locked on Dolphins. I'm having a blast my first week here on the gig. I hope you guys are enjoying listening as much as I am enjoying uh, steering the ship. And uh, lots of great information coming out this week. It's such a logical week for us to start. And uh, I think it makes sense now to start phasing in what's probably going to be a daily quarterback update uh, as the Dolphins' search continues for a franchise quarterback. I going to talk about two quarterbacks today. Uh, The two quarterbacks, uh, let's make it three. I'll put a little Joe Burrow something in here, because the Joe Burrow one's going to be quick. The media's made a big stink about Joe Burrow kind of dancing around the idea of, will he go to Cincinnati? And Joe's like, uh, yeah, you know, they've got their process. I've got my process. And it's, it's early in that process. So, uh, and he's tiptoed that line. But somebody came straight out and said yesterday, asked him at his media availability, if the, if the Bengals pick you, are you going to show up? And he said, yeah, I'm a ball player. I'm going to show up. So go ahead and close the casket on the Joe Burrow to Miami hopes and dreams. Uh, He's probably not going to finesse his way out of Miami, and that's okay because we have other options, and I think there are two other potential franchise quarterbacks in this draft. The the question just becomes, which one makes the most sense for Miami? Tua Tunga Viola Yesterday, got on the podium and had a great session of availability. He said on uh, Monday he was at the hospital for 10 hours for team medicals. Bless him. That is an. <laughs> I, I get irritable if I'm at the grocery store for 10 minutes. I can't imagine being poked and prodded and grilled and having x rays and C- like, for 10 hours. No thank you. But Tua, here's the exciting news. Uh, spoke about his next big landmark date. And it's not very far away. It's, It's actually probably closer than you think. March 9th is the next key date for Tua. Because that is potentially the date in which he gets clearance from his doctors to resume training for football activities. Feels like a sudden turnaround, and, and that's either a, a testament to the medical realm and their ability to heal uh, something that you know, has been referenced as uh, likened to a, a traumatic car crash uh, with this dislocated hip, or to a could potentially be a. Uh, uh, one of those guys, you know, remember Saquon Barkley? I don't know if you guys had him on your fantasy team this year, but Saquon Barkley had like a high ankle sprain uh, in like week five or six this year. And it's like, oh, well, he's not going to play for like six to eight weeks. And that was the original time frame, And then like two weeks later, Saquon was back on the field. You know, that's an interesting layer here where if he, cle- if he heals this fast, the question becomes, okay, you know, if he gets banged up, but if he's a fast healer, like, we could work with this. This could work. To his clearance date, target clearance date is March 9th. His targeted date for a pro, a throwing day, I don't want to call it a, a full-on pro day, but a throwing session for NFL teams would come one month later on April 9th. So we're... Getting close here to getting a formalized schedule. And the draft's going to be here before we know it, guys. It really is. So, this is something to put on your calendars. March 9th is the key date. If he gets the full clearance from his doctors on March 9th, Tua Tunga Viola is going to aim for a throwing session one month later on April 9th, which you can be rest assured the Dolphins will be there for. Last but not least... Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert also took the podium yesterday. And I feel like I need to probably come clean here. I'm gonna start to get questions. I know I am as a draft guy, a guy who works in the draft industry. Who I would rather have for Miami? Heck, I'm already my my co-workers here at the draft network constantly grilling me on this topic. Would you rather do this or would you rather do that? Would you rather trade this and have this and or or sit tight and wait for this, I am going to stake my flag in the ground right now and suggest that I'm probably going to prefer the option that the Dolphins stay put at five and let the chips fall where they may. Because you look behind the Dolphins... The Chargers are interested in free agent quarterbacks. They're they're interested in making a splash because they need to sell tickets. So they may go out and get a veteran quarterback, which may remove their urgency as a team that needs to build an offensive line because it's one of the few in the league that's probably worse than the Dolphins. They need assets. They can't afford to be given up a bunch of big assets to jump up three spots and get into a bidding war with Miami. The Panthers at seven... This team's already sent out letters to the the season ticket holders effectively saying, hey, this year's going to suck, so (laughs) stick with us. It's a process. They are very much in the same boat as what the Dolphins were last year, and they're going to build towards working towards uh, building up assets and and potentially Trevor Lawrence. I don't know. I, I don't know anything there. I'm just speculating. But that does not seem like a team that is in the life cycle to surrender a ton of picks to get a quarterback when that roster is going to be bad and they're going to induce a fire sale. They're going to sell assets off, let alone be buying in. Arizona doesn't need it. Jaguars at nine, maybe. But now you're getting to the point where, like, if you're Detroit, the only thing you have to worry about if you're Miami from having a decision between Tua and Herbert, is the Lions. Because if the Lions decide it's the right play for them to sell and extend their window with Matt Patrician, Bob Quinn there, the head coach and the general manager, if the Patriots want to go to Martha Ford and say, hey, look, we're going to segue and transition this. We need you to ease off your win-now mandate in 2020 because we think we've got a special quarterback in Tua We can't really afford to trade Stafford because it'd be $33 million in dead salary cap this year. We have to keep Stafford. We're going to redshirt Tua, and then we're going to move Stafford next offseason. That is the only scenario for the Dolphins that has me super stressed right now. And if I'm Miami, with all the holes that this team has, I understand you got the picks to spend the picks if you have the chance to, to spend them if you need to spend him, if you fall in love with a guy. But for the Dolphins' build specifically, I'm at the point and the juncture where I would prefer to have the volume of picks because that is how teams find success in the draft, is through volume. And if the Lions want to try and get the Dolphins to pay through the nose to draft Tua, and give up a bunch of picks. I'm I'm going to call their bluff. That's where I stand now. That's really probably not where I stood week 16, week 17. You know, this process is fluid and you get a lot of information and a lot of these teams individual trajectories are changing and you got to be able to read the tea leaves and and live with the results and as I watch Tua, and I watch Herbert, and I know Herbert's a guy that's it's kind of a popular guy on the internet to poke fun at, or you know, Dolphins fans are going to compare him to Ryan Tannehill 2.0, and, and I'm off the Herbert Tannehill comp, and even if it was true, look what Ryan Tannehill did this year when he was surrounded by a supporting cast that the Dolphins could never give him. And all of a sudden, all the Dolphins fans want Justin Herbert or want Ryan Tannehill back because he did good things with the Titans. Well, guess why he did good things with the Titans? It wasn't because Ryan Tannehill was any different of a player, it's because you were actually able to build something up around him and let him have a running game. Heaven forbid, Adam Gase. Heaven forbid, Joe Philbin. Run the football. Get a good offensive line. And people are going to say, I know they're going to say, but Kyle, the Dolphins had first-round picks on the offensive line, to which I would say there's a difference between addressing needs and actually investing in fixing your problems. Don't check a box, say, well, I drafted a guy. We, the offensive line's fixed. Well, clearly not, because the Dolphins can't keep anybody healthy on the offensive line, and they haven't for the last six years. The Dolphins' only semblance of a good offensive line was in 2016 when we had like four games of Brandon Albert, Laramie Tunsil, Mike Pouncey, and Juwan James healthy at the same time. Then Brandon Albert got hurt. We had to move Tunsil to tackle. And then Albert came back, and we didn't know what to do, and then Pouncey got hurt. And magically, that was the year that Ryan Tannehill looked pretty good, and J.H.I. rushed for 1,200 yards.
1: If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: So that perspective I think is really valuable for Dolphins fans to keep in that, whether it's Tua or Herbert, do not expect this guy to be the remedy for everything that ails the Dolphins' offense. It's unrealistic. And because of that, that is the revelation that I personally have had that tells me, just sit tight at five. If you can get it for cheap to flip up to three, go ahead. But it's already apparent with the way the Detroit Lions have been posturing this offseason, they want a ransom for three. So let them pick at three. You're either going to take a quarterback and you're going to redshirt him, and then you're probably going to get fired 18 months from now, halfway through your, the 2021 season, and now you got a lame duck situation with a, a rookie quarterback or a first-year starting quarterback. Or they're going to take Jeff Okuda at five or at three, and the Dolphins will have the chance at five to choose between the two. That, to me, is the most appealing approach for this Dolphins rebuild at this point in time because – They can't afford, they cannot afford to surrender a ton of volume. And easier said than done, there's nothing stopping this team from if they end up doing the New York Jets-Sam Darnold trade package where they give up three twos to move up two spots. The Jets traded three twos to go up from six to three to draft Sam Darnold. Dolphins having three first-round picks this year, it would be very easy for Miami to replace a lot of that in trade-back scenarios. But we if if you get into that mentality, then you have to start playing the game is where are the tiers of talent in this draft? Where are the tiers of you're getting good value for your pick in this range? If you're picking in this range, ideally you might like to trade back because you can get comparable players later and add more assets. Ironically enough... I've done over 200 scouting assessments for the 2020 NFL Draft. You guys know how many first-round grades I have? 26. Where's Miami's last first-round pick? 26. Now, granted, all 26 of my first-round grades are not going to be equivalent to the first-round grades that the Dolphins hand out or the Patriots hand out or the Bills hand out, but... You're going to get a lot of overlap there at the top of the draft because as an outside draft analyst, your objective is to find the players who can fit into a lot of different schemes. And the players that fit into a lot of different schemes are typically the ones that sit atop the board because you know they're going to be in demand for everybody. They can play odd front, even front. They can play in a vertical passing offense or West Coast concepts or uh, slide protection or, or vertical pass, like whatever the variables are that you want to induce, the players that can do it all are the players that sit atop the board because everybody's going to want them for their own system. So the Dolphins are in a great year, first of all, to have three first-round picks. You can get three really good talents. If Miami was forced into a trade-back scenario, could they get fair compensation? Sure, could they get good value for their picks? Absolutely. But I think the sweet spot for this draft is the top 100. There are some classes where this sweet spot is the top 75 or 64. It's a pretty deep first two days. There's going to be, especially the wide receiver group, there's going to be guys going in round three that typically would be going probably between 45 and 60. Really good group. Running back class is really good. Which is why I will continue to pull out what little remains of hair I have every time I see a DeAndre Swift pick for the Dolphins in the first round, especially at 18 in mock drafts. Please, stop. You can get 90% that player at 70. It's a hard pill to swallow. But that is a conversation for another day Because this conversation is done. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Locked on Dolphins. If you did, I'd like to invite you to leave us a rating. Hit subscribe. Come on back and see us. I said this in the promos before I started this week. This is the most important offseason for the Dolphins in 20 years. With the assets they have at their disposal, this is an exciting time to be a Miami Dolphins fan. And the energy that you picked up from Brian Flores at his podium session yesterday... Backs that up. There was enthusiasm. There was optimism. There's momentum based on the way the Dolphins finished the year. The players have bought into a system. It's a completely, drastically different team-building mentality than what we saw under Jeff Ireland and Mike Tannenbaum. There's a lot to look forward to. And I'm going to be here with you guys every step of the way. So come on back. See me again tomorrow.